This is the problem with an all-in-one book, though, now, because we're now far enough into the book where I cannot set the book open anywhere. Like... These problems. I'm on, I'm on page 705 of 767, and it just... It will not... I have to set a heavy object on the book. Wow. These problems that we have. That's not a heavy enough object. <laughs> Golly gee. What do I have to... Hold it? Yeah. You want me to hold it? Mm-hmm. This is why I do, like, the book quotes and reading thing. Yeah. Because but... I have smaller, more manageable books. Ugh. Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which we discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 7 of The Last Battle. This chapter is called Mainly About Dwarfs. I uh, am a mannequin. Uh-huh. I make a mean stew of wild fresny, also, also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host, I'm a Sly Boots, if ever there was one. Ooh, a Sly Boots. If ever there was one. Also known as Chris. Hello, Chris. How are Hi. you today? Feeling sly. Feeling sly. Feeling cozy. It's yeah. going to be a rainy you day. You are wrapped up in a blanket today. This is like the most like cold I've ever seen you in this room before. Well, I was just, you know, it's a gray day out. It's going to rain. Yeah. I was just getting, getting a little warmed up. We should make some hot cocoa or something. We should. That would be fun. Do we have cocoa? Uh, I don't know. I did have cocoa powder, but I think it expired and I threw it away. Cocoa powder expires? Yeah, I, I had like just, <laughs> I think I had the sweet cocoa powder, like the whatever, but I don't know. Well, I mean, we do have sugar and we have like chocolates. Do we have chocolates or do we have chocolates? Because I don't want like some little pecan bits floating <laughs> in my hot chocolate when I try to melt down my that's gourmet, Kristen. Oh yeah, it's gourmet. It's what the, uh, you know, the uh, the free trade. Uh, like your candle over there with the with the flower, dried flower pieces in it that catch on fire and burn twice the size of the candle should burn. It's exciting. Is that gourmet? It's a gourmet candle. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's artisanal. Anyway, <laughs> what do we do in this podcast? How do we start? Um, Did we banter already? Yeah, we. That's what we've been doing here. <laughs> okay. Because we talked about hot cocoa. Cool. Gourmet hot cocoa with wild fresnies. Um, yeah, so we discuss the chapters, and the first thing we do is we read our summaries. So as you and I are reading the chapter, Chris, we select five sentences out of the chapter each mm-hmm. and try to summarize the plot of the chapter. Sounds straightforward enough. Would you like to do yours first? Sure, I'll go ahead and do mine first. Do it. Do it! <laughs> didn't know you were the senate today Um, i am the senate anyway here's my summary of this chapter what the dwarfs saw now that they could see it close was certainly enough to make them wonder how they had ever been taken in i don't think we want any more kings if you are Tyrion, which you don't look like him no more than we want any aslans of course, one single dwarf could not make a very great difference, but it was somehow very cheering to have even one. And then, says Ginger, 
Aslan himself suddenly appeared in a flash of lightning and swallowed your majesty up in one mouthful. But those who care neither for Tash nor Aslan, but have only an eye to their own profit and such reward as the Tisrock may give them when Narnia is the Calarmine province, will be firm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of you you brought a lot of that plot at the end of the of the ginger cat and uh, yeah, uh well, I Rishta. Think, I think that's important, and we'll discuss that when we get there. But yeah, okay. I'll go ahead and read mine then. The two Calarmine soldiers at the head of the column, seeing what they took for a Tarkin or great lord with two armed pages, came to a halt and raised their spears in salute. Well, said the black dwarf, whose name was Griffel. I don't know how all you chaps feel, but I feel I've heard as much about Aslan as I want to for the rest of my life. Tyrion had never dreamed that one of the results of the apes setting up a false Aslan would be to stop people from believing in the real one. My belief is that the plot is now carried on by Ginger or Rishida. Rishta. Ginger or Rishta. That's the Calarmine captain. While the dwarf had been speaking, the day seemed to have changed. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, went a little more, more uh, like dialogue heavy from the uh, the storytelling perspective. I mean, or something. Yeah. Cool. Um, this is a heavy chapter. There's some stuff to talk about here. Yeah, there really is. There's some there's some deep allegory we need to get into. So we should uh we should dive right in. Um, if I can find where the chapter begins. There we go. <laughs> cool. All right, so at the end of the last chapter, we encountered this group of dwarves that was being, like, taken somewhere by these Calamine guards. Yep. And we resolved that here in the first bit of this chapter where uh, Tyrion and the group approaches uh, and the guards take him for some sort of captain or something because they're still in the brown face with their, like, Calamine garb yep. on. Yep. Uh, and so they, uh, their first instinct is to show deference to him and... Tyrion addresses the dwarves and it's just like What's Well, he going? addresses them and says, yeah. like, these these dwarves are all very uh tame, essentially. I, yeah. uh, how how did you manage that? Yeah, very obedient. And then he addresses the dwarves and it's just like, Hey, so uh by the way, did the Tizrock come and like defeat you? Like was there a great battle? Did you fight to your last and you were just uh, you know, this is what happened and you've been taken prisoner? And they're just like, Well duh, no, of course not. Like that's that's silly. Um, this is Aslan's orders, of course. How could we go against him? And at this point, the Calarmine guards, uh, are thinking something's up, probably. Yeah, I mean, he's very obviously stirring these guys up, so. Yeah. Uh, and then he immediately brings Puzzle, puzzle forth and is just like, hey, look, you've been had. This is what a the ape's been showing you, obviously not Aslan. Yeah. Uh, and then the doors are just like, well, obviously we got cheated. This is... This is some BS. Well, the the Calarmine soldiers at the front of the column attack. Yeah. And Tyrion has a fight, like a an actual battle with one of them. Yes. And Eustace just kind of accidentally kills the other one. Don't you hate it when you accidentally kill a man? Yeah, I really, really do hate that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a bad time. But he had beginner's luck. Um, I mean, and he and it says that he forgot everything that Tyrion taught him. And just, like, happened upon victory. Yeah. And, like, it took him less time 
to be victorious in this battle than Tyrion, who actually knew what he was doing and was trying really hard to, like, train the boy. I will train him. You know, whatever. It's just weird. <laughs> it's just weird. It's weird because that's, like, that's not the first time that that's happened either because that's what happened to, um, uh, not Edmund, but Peter uh-huh. with the wolf that, like, jumped on him and he had his sword. And then what happened? Aslan had to teach him how to clean his sword after a battle. <laughs> Oh, does that happen in this chapter too? Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. That would be weird, right? That would would be so weird if we had the exact same thing happen with Eustace that happened with King Peter. Would be a weird callback indeed. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so yeah, we also don't deal at all with, uh, you know, the the sheer trauma of this being the first time Eustace has killed someone. Um, (laughs) Yeah. By it. like we talk about how I just want to make he sure and... he's never he's never he didn't kill anyone in, in yeah no this is the first time Eustace ever like I think legit fights somebody in fact yeah because he has a sword yeah in the other one but he yeah I mean he no. had, he attacked the Lady of the Green Kirtle at the end of the last book yeah and but, hacked at at the snake but wasn't but it was it was snake at the time yeah. like she, that, that was a big part of the fact that they were like we're really glad she turned into the beast because it wouldn't have sat right with me to kill her as a woman yeah and um but in voyage of the dawn treader he had a sword yeah but doesn't actually i mean at no point in voyage of the dawn treader does anybody really get into combat reaper cheap beats him up with, yeah. the, with the flat of his blade yeah yeah okay but fair enough that's the thing cool this is the first time he kills somebody uh and we don't really talk about that other than the fact that he's proud of himself for doing it and then uh jill thinks he's hot later yeah but yeah <laughs> that's 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 the thing <laughs> anyway however i think we shouldn't move on uh without reading this passage which i think is one of the better passages in like the entire series yeah. where um at this point the calamine guards think there's something up with Tyrion, and the uh, he one says, "Give the password," said the chief soldier. Here this, is my password. This is my password," said the king as he drew his sword. The light is dawning. The lie broken. Now guard thee, miscreant, for I am Tyrion of Narnia. Yep, that's a that's a good passage. Yeah, like I don't know. I feel like it's very like forced. I don't know. He's trying so hard to be eloquent. Yeah, but I mean that's in the what way he's been that trying. like people who are actively making history don't realize that they are like he he's like very much just like nope this is history I'm being a part of here. He is forcing the issue. Um. Anyway, he really wants a revolution here. This is like his what? his dream. What? Um. Anywho, they really quickly dispatch the Calamine guards and they uh free the dwarves and. Tyrion thinks he's going to have this great moment of being like, all right, I've freed the dwarves. I have this small little army now. We're going to lead these guys, and we're going to go back, and we're going to, like, show everybody the truth back at the uh, the apes' camp, and we're going to end this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't go that way. It doesn't. And it's and in the end of the last chapter, mm-hmm. when Tyrion says, like, oh, let's go show those dwarves, like, those friendly dwarves, let's, after first saying like something mean about the dwarves where he's like oh those rotten like like dwarves who betrayed us kind of thing attitude yeah. then as soon as he has puzzle he's like let's go get those weapons that are going to be part of our arsenal yeah. and they call him out on it straight up like griffel just says like 
you rescued us because you, you rescued use us, us too. because you want to use us too. You have your own game that you're playing, and mm-hmm. we don't want to be a part of it. Yeah, and it's it's it calls him out 100 percent on exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Like he, he and he even Tyrion even changed his tune about it too. At first, he was like, "Oh, those awful dwarves," and then he was as soon as he had a way to convince them, quote unquote, to help him, mm-hmm. he was like, "All right." We're we're gonna go get them, and they're gonna be ours as our weapon. And yeah, it's and Griffel absolutely hundred percent like calls him out on it, and it's accurate. It's correct. It's also total like nonsense for the king to show up in brown face and be like, "Yeah, I'm the king." Also, these two are kids from another world. Like, yeah. It also like plays into like how much people have just believed that in the past in the books where people where they're like oh yeah we came from another world and we were brought here by aslan and everybody's been like yeah that's fine yeah totally Totally cool yeah 100 percent makes sense got it so you came from the same world as king peter okay cool awesome so it does point out like how just nonsense that sounds (laughs) to any reasonable person like i agree with the dwarves here that's complete and total nonsense to just be like yep i'm the king and these are you know children brought here from another world by aslan the real aslan yep that one 100 percent makes sense to me (laughs) um well it's worth pointing out uh these are black dwarfs by the way which as we know well we don't it doesn't say anything about all of them it just says they're all dwarves and that griffel is a black dwarf he's the only one who's identified because i had to go back and double check because i wanted to see if we were continuing the dwarf racism stereotype and poggin was going to be a red dwarf and griffel was going to be a black dwarf but we actually don't have any confirmation on that yeah so don't don't make a blanket statement on that because there isn't well griffel Griffel is a black dwarf the outspoken one one. yeah who uh much like uh what was the one in uh in Prince Caspian. Prince Caspian. What, what was his name? Nickabrick. Much like Nickabrick, this very disagreeable uh, sort of figure, who they, you know, they don't, they don't need no stinking lion. But this is a very interesting turn because they had this argument, and like Griffel the Black Dwarf is just like, yeah, no, we won't be taken in. Like you're coming and selling us this lie just like they did. Mm-hmm. You know, you expect us to just fall for anything now that you've shown us we've already been had, and. You know, Tyrion's just like, oh no, I've actually been sent by the real Aslan. And Griffel's just like, oh, the real Aslan, can you make him appear? Like, and then Tyrion's just like, oh, not a tame lion, can't do that. And the dwarves, like, Griffel uses that as a talking point, like, against him, being like, yeah, that's what everybody says. Yeah, oh, that's, that's, what, a convenient that's what they excuse. convinced us of. Yeah. Yes, and that line about him not being a tame lion, and I. I've kind of I kind of harped on this a little bit in the in the rashness of the king chapter I believe where that was brought up and it's yeah it's very much that this has been used and abused yeah but this line that he's not a tame lion has been used and manipulated to control people yeah and and yeah I mean Poggin's uh, not Poggin but Griffel's very much got a good point here when he's just like oh you did say it you said it you said the thing. Yeah. You said the thing that means that you're trying to control us. Yeah. Uh, so it is not it's very not, much this idea that like all things work together for good, mm-hmm. you know, like not to get too political on this podcast about a children's book. 
um, but is, I mean, is not a tame lion like the Narnian version of, oh, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. No, I think like it's, something. I think it's the Narnian version of, um, like, God's got a plan. Okay. Where it's just like, oh, yeah, 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 no, bad things happened to you, but God's gonna make it better. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, you got, you got hurt, you got assaulted, you got whatever, but, you know. But God's got you. Yeah. It's very, like, we can't, his ways are higher than our ways. That's the one. That's the expression that it is. Because it's, oh, yeah, no, it's his ways are higher than our ways. Like, why would you question bad things happening? Right. When you're doing your best to serve. Like, why would you question anything Aslan told you to do when all you're trying to do is serve Aslan? Yeah. Well, it's it is perfectly valid to question things that are anti the character of Aslan. Yeah, like it is a, it is not Aslan's character in any story ever told about Aslan and any experience anyone's ever had in any testimony ever anyone's ever given about Aslan. It's not Aslan's character to work with the Kellermeans and yeah. say that Tash is the same as Aslan and all of these things like. Anyone who's ever listened to the stories about Aslan should actually question that. And if they say, oh, well, he's not a tame lion, it's like, yeah, but he is a consistent one. Yeah. You know, like, when you're like, oh, God's ways are higher than our ways, we don't question. It's like, yeah, except also he does care about us, you know? And, like, he also is consistent in letting people's uh, choices have consequences that damage other people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, and that's, we, we addressed this a little bit in, like, the first couple of chapters, back when Shift is talking to everybody and being like, yeah, this is what Aslan wants. Yeah. Um, where, aside from, like, a little bit from, like, the lamb or whatever, there's no real questioning being done of, like, oh, hey, this isn't consistent with Aslan. Like, Aslan has never said anything like this before. Yeah. Like, nobody makes this point. And even the dwarves aren't making this point. They're just like, well... Aslan's orders, we can't go against it, and immediately, once they're proven wrong, they're just like, well, now we can't believe anything. Yeah. Like, we believe this false thing, but now, obviously, nothing to do with Aslan can be trusted. Like, we're just not going to believe in Aslan, we don't need him, we're just going to be on our own. Well, and to be fair, they haven't needed him. Uh Uh-huh. To this point. Like, but trying to follow and honor Aslan got them sold as slaves. Yeah. So, yeah, I would also be kind of done with it as well. Yeah, is this... I mean, to, mass exodus of millennials from Christianity today. I wonder what, what, how, what parallels we could draw there, too. Yeah, I mean, is this also... I mean, there's a lot being said here, obviously. Like, this is a deep allegory that Lewis is getting into. But is also, this also supposed to be saying something about Christian persecution? And, like, how, you know, even Jesus says, if you follow me, you're going to have a bad time. Like, you are think... going to be hunted. You're going to be killed for this. I think the goal with this, though, is, uh, and that's an interesting point there, because you're uh-huh. saying people are going to have a bad time following Christ, er, yeah. fo- and like that this is a parallel to that with the the dwarves believing that Aslan would put them in a position that they got in, hurt in uh-huh. or enslaved in. Anyway, I think this has more to do with Lewis's version of the Revelation and the Antichrist and people being led astray. Yeah. And being turned away and walking away entirely because of all the deception. Yeah. Um, and I think it parallels very much a lot of 
modern Christianity. And you want to really dive into that? Do a no, deep dive? No, I really in? don't want to, but we can we can keep moving on. Um, something else I wanted to get into, and uh, we don't have the time to get into it as much as I want to in this particular episode. However, there's a line by the dwarves here. Mm-hmm. Can, can you stop trying to burn things? I'm not trying to burn things. I'm trying to get it out. <laughs> and I am successful. Cool. Um, there is a line by the dwarves here. Mm-hmm. That's right, said the other dwarves. We're on our own now. No more Aslan, no more kings, no more silly stories about other worlds. The dwarves are for the dwarves. And to and, a certain extent, Tyrion got exactly what he asked for, to free the dwarves. Yeah. And this is pretty much... Trinian. Tyrion? Tyrion. Tyrion. I said it right, right? Yes, okay. Tyrion. You, you, you're never going to get his name right throughout this entire book, are you? Not on a first try. <laughs> anyway. So... No, and this this is a basically a direct quote uh, from you know what began as like the French socialist movement in like the late eighteen hundreds, where the famous quote is "No gods, no masters." Yeah, uh, and you know this the socialist movement that started out of France and then kind of spread into like the labor reform movement in England in the early nineteen hundreds, which was like their experiment in. Uh, developing a socialist party which never really went anywhere but i feel like it almost has to be lewis commenting on this little bit because he uses this line very pointedly yeah and like the whole no gods no masters thing like this is the it's socialist movement no of narnia Aslan, no king yeah 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 okay okay uh-huh. and so it, it may it may be mm-hmm. it may also just be the nature of the dwarves as the characters that yeah. Lewis has written them to be, but yeah, I, I think that it's, it, I think that it's fair to guess that there is some amount of influence in there. Yeah. And what what's interesting is like, with the tone of the chapter, I don't necessarily think it was Lewis's intention to paint the dwarves as being in the wrong here. I think he is saying this is a this symptom is a very, of the problem. Yeah, very natural. And I think yeah. that that's a big part of that sentence I used. Uh, Tyrion had had never dreamed that one of the results of the ape setting up a false Aslan would be to stop people from believing in the real one. Uh-huh. Like, I, that's why I chose that sentence, because it really does convey this idea that, like, well, maybe the dwarfs aren't wrong to walk away. Yeah. To take this opportunity to just leave and get out of all of this. Yeah. This is the... This is the nature of a fallen system, and, like, this is the world in decline, and this is the natural course of events... Uh, actually, the other day, this led me to reading a r- pretty long, like, four or five page article about, uh, Lewis's thoughts on government, which is interesting, um, <laughs> huh. where I don't want to get super, super into it, but he had a lot to say about, like, government systems and whatnot, if you look in the right places. Yeah. Uh, and what it comes down to, like, as much as you can read these books and say, oh, Lewis obviously, like, longs for the days of, like, the monarchy and, like, going back to the medieval style of governance in England and, like, we want a strong king over us. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, he acknowledges that as a flawed system and doesn't want to go back to that, and he says as much several times. He is not a fan of democracy, where he's just like, this is a necessary evil. Where he's just like, yeah, this perfect world that I want is where we acknowledge God as the ruler and, like, there are people that, like, are intermediaries to God and, you know, rule the country in a perfect way. a theocracy. 
but since that, you know, isn't perfect, and he's very much against the idea of giving too much power to any one person. Yeah. He's just like, I don't like the idea of democracy, but I think it's the best system that we can hope to have. Interesting. In a fallen world. So he has this kind of weird relationship with a democratic government. Yeah. But, anyway. uh, He doesn't like socialism, though, so that's... (laughs) So we can't be friends. That's what you're saying. Maybe maybe a little dig here. Um, But if anything, like, if you were... If you were to put Lewis into, like, a modern American context, mm-hmm. uh, he comes off very much as a libertarian. If you had to put him in a box. Because he uh, also has gone on record saying that he don't he does not think it should be the government's job to police matters of personal morality. And the only laws that should be enforced are laws that protect people from being harmed. Mm-hmm. And so that's very much like a, like I said, a libertarian stance from him, I guess. Yeah. But anyway, this is not a uh, political Lewis podcast. This is the C.S. <laughs> Lewis politics. This uh, is not, no. Poly Cyclops. This, uh, this is not his uh, election campaign. Okay. But moving on. So I think that's a very interesting exchange that happens with the dwarves there. And like my, my first blush at reading that would be to say, hey, the dwarves are the bad guys and they're, they don't have faith. But reading it again, I think that that's not the way Lewis is presenting it. Yeah. And they're victims here as much as anybody else. Yeah. I think Lewis definitely presents them as victims in this, for yeah. sure. Of the abuse of the power and um, this specifically. Yeah. Of... Now, yes, there is going to be judgment cast on them for not believing in Aslan, but also, like, in the same way that Trumpkin couldn't see Aslan walking through the woods with them when he was guiding them, and the kids slowly began to see him, and Aslan throws Trumpkin in the air and kind of, like, is very much just, like, put your your hands in the holes in my fingers, you know, like, put your fingers in the holes in my hands kind of thing, where it's just, like, oh, doubting Trumpkin. Yeah. He's a doubt in Trumpkin. Yep. That should be a phrase in this in these books. Uh, anyway, so moving on. So the dwarfs go off for themselves. Uh, they're going to do their own thing. They're going to be looking out for them. We're not going to count on them in the coming battle. Cool. Uh, and they're just like, all right, well, we got to get on anyway. They head off back toward the tower to regroup, figure out what they're going to do now. Uh, and then they get approached by a lone dwarf. Mm-hmm. Who comes up to him? Poggin. Poggin, uh, who, in my art in my book, looks a little bit like a. I kind didn't of a, have art for him. Let me see. A Dickensian street urchin. <laughs> he has barely any beard. <laughs> yeah, he's just like a t- little ten-year-old kid who's just like, <laughs> I got a shovel and a it dream. It specifically describes him as fat in the chapter, yeah. though. Yeah. It says though he was only four feet tall, he was very broad. Like. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's wearing like his weird little poofy pants. Yeah, that's a, um, that's a, that's not Poggin. <laughs> so yeah, Poggin shows up and is just like, well, I don't know about those other guys, but I believe in you. I believe that you're sent by Aslan, and I'm a join because like, he, yeah, but also, yeah, but also, like, go you, Poggin, how brave of you. Uh-huh. Also, had to sneak away from the rest of the dwarves. Would not stand up in front of any of the other dwarves and say. I'll stay with you. They, he says that it took him a while to get away from them. Yeah, but he made the right call. Yeah. Eventually he made the right decision. Cool. Uh, and he, he just joins. did it filled with shame and fear. Yeah. Uh, and er- not boldly in the name of Aslan. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, and everybody is super excited that he comes back, and this gives me, like, a little bit of, like, prodigal son energy. It's a little, it's a morale boost. Like, they are all very defeated, because they're walking away sad, like, the king and Jewel are walking together in the back of the column, like, Tyrion... Tyrion is leaning on Jewel, like, for just emotional support without words. And, like, Jewel is occasionally nuzzling him and just being, like, reassuring presence. But, like, they're very defeated walking away from the dwarves, all of them. And, like, uh, Puzzle still feels like he doesn't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's specifically described in there. So to address the questions about whether or not the donkey is being presented as dumb in this book... It specifically in this chapter says he still didn't quite understand what just happened. Yeah. Like, it's very, very explicit to be like, yeah, nope, he's just dumb. He hasn't put it together yet. Yeah. Uh, like, say what you want about uh, donkeys and media in general. <laughs> as, a, as a recent email from a friend of the podcast, Nathan, pointed out. Yeah. Uh, however, I think you can't make the argument that in this book specifically donkey... Uh, donkey donkey well uh, puzzle is not presented as stupid yeah because nathan was drawing the distinction between stupid and stubborn uh-huh. as the presentation of the donkey in in media yeah and well yes there's a certain amount of stubbornness that's being presented like that's not what's presented in this book so yeah. yes i would say it's fair that a lot of the examples we brought up of stupid donkeys in literature and in in media are probably more more aptly to be described as stubborn donkeys. Yeah. However, this specific one is presenting puzzle as stupid. Yeah. And not stubborn. Cool. Um, so anyway, they get super excited that Poggin joins them. Um, they have one. Hey, there's hope. So they're going to take him. They go back to the tower, their little hideout. Uh, and they pl- collapse, pass out. I yeah. I don't understand the timing here. Well, because I read this like four or five times. They slept during the day. Yeah. They went out at 9 p.m. Yeah. Over, walked over, beat up the guard, got Jewel, got Puzzle, started walking back, heard yeah. the column. Yes. Uh, and went and approached them in the dark. Yes. Because all of the dwarves were carrying torches. And they get back to the tower at the coldest hour of the night right before dawn it's yeah. still dark they go to sleep again and it seems i guess the kids wake up at like 10 30 so like they sleep for like six hours something like that uh however it also says um hey dwarves are the toughest and strongest creatures for their size so Pogan, in spite of a heavy duty and late night woke fully refreshed before any of the others so like he went and took a little two-hour power nap i guess yeah got up uh, he went and shot some pigeons, he got some wood, and he started making, uh, you know, gathering ingredients like wild fresney for this stew. Uh, didn't he send the kids to do the wild uh, herb gathering? Oh, uh, showed them where they could gather, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, looks rather like wood sorrel. I don't know what wood sorrel is or tastes like. Okay. Um, <laughs> Me neither. But it needs a little butter and pepper to make it perfect. I would say that about most things, honestly. Yeah, that's um, fair. Yeah. 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 <laughs> There's, there's not a lot of things you can cook that aren't improved by the addition of butter and pepper, so. Says the southern man. Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they get together ingredients for the stew. They make a fire. They have a, a little grand old time. And Poggin starts telling them this story about, you know, what 
Tyrion has missed because yeah, well, he was Tyrion in the midst of this. Tyrion specifically asked, what, what story did they tell of my escape? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I need to point this out because we actually got here. Uh, Eustace gets yelled at for not clean, cleaning a sword before putting it away. Yes. <laughs> he put it back into the sheath dirty. Gosh. And, yeah, we do have this very strong <sighs> parallel here with Peter and Eustace now. Uh-huh. That Peter has that moment with Aslan. We, well, Eustace has this moment with Tyrion. Yeah. And, yeah, we have this very interesting idea of a child learning how to care for their weapons Uh in wartime. And it's very much a transitional conversation of child to fighter. You Mm -hmm. know, child to ruler, king, battle participant. Yeah. So. And, And I think that that... I think that's the goal of the conversation is to indicate the change that's happening here in the context of. So we have some character development. Remember when we used to talk about character development in this book and how we like rated chapters based on how well they did character development and like what actually happened with the characters in them. Was that a thing we did? Yeah. That's weird. (laughs) Why would we do that in a literary discussion? I have no idea. But Eustace has some character development here. Um, Like previous chapter was all about uh, Jill like, this is all about Eustace. Uh-huh. Um, speaking of which, is... I don't want to read too much into this, but is there some sort of, like, weird pseudo-romantic thing happening between I, Jill and I Eustace? I read that. I, I definitely read that in this chapter. Yeah. 100% when Jill is just like, she saw him differently and him felt different. a little shy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Is that's how I read that, but I don't know. I was just like, I feel kind of gross because these are like ten year olds. Yeah. So I don't want to like. Yeah, don't don't sexualize <laughs> them, but it is yeah. definitely a little flirty moment where she like feels shy because she likes how strong he was in that moment. Yeah. So yeah, that I definitely read it that way. Cool. Uh, so that happened. Uh, we'll see if that resolves anywhere toward the end of this book. You know, if they like fighting enough that they end up getting married, so yeah. that it's easier for them. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> So they can go on doing it more conveniently. Um, so anyway, Poggins tells the story about um, what happened, uh, you know, when Tyrion was tied up and all this stuff that he wasn't aware of. And we established something that I, mean, I was wrong about because I don't know the plot of the book, but I think we were wrong about together. Uh, Ginger Cat, very much not Aslan, because we did talk a little bit about how maybe yep. this is Aslan in disguise a little bit. No. Uh, not at all. The ginger cat is something else entirely. Yeah. Uh, and he's a co-conspirator, might even be the power behind the throne, who yeah. is, you know, it's not Shift running things, because, like, Shift got what he wanted. Like, he he wanted bananas and oranges and booze, apparently. He's yeah. gotten into drinking now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he <laughs> says, oh, so that the, the cat is in the ape's council. Uh-huh. And Poggin phrases it as, I don't know if the ape is in his own council. He's taken to drinking. Yeah. Like, I thought that was an interesting way of saying that. Uh, but yeah, he says the plot, he, he believes the plot is now mostly carried on by the ginger cat and Rishta, that's the Calamine captain, like you said in your uh, summary. Yeah. Uh, as I said in my summary, there's this whole story about, you know, Tyrion's just like, what do they say happened to me because I'm gone? And it's like, oh, the ginger cat said Aslan came out of nowhere and, and ate you for doubting him. Yeah. So they're they're using his escape as another tool to, you know, galvanize the masses and yeah. be like, well, this is how angry Aslan is. He's going to eat the king, so you better fall in line. Yeah. Um. So shift immediately. 
you know, uses that to his advantage. And but, I find it interesting that this is specifically said to be a story that the ginger cat said. Yes. As opposed, like, the cat has stepped forward and said, I saw this happened. Yeah. And, like, that was the cat stepping into being like, oh, yeah, I've got this. Yeah. Now, also, all of this is within 24 hours. Uh-huh. Because we had the king show up, get tied to the tree. He was there all night. And then escaped with the kids. Uh-huh. Ran through the woods. And then they slept during the day and came back that next night. Uh-huh. So within 24 hours from that conversation where the ginger cat heard what Rishta had to say, uh-huh. he, he, that, that cat, which I think was referred to as he, he, ginger then has now stepped up and been like, oh, I saw Aslan come and eat him. I know that this is all trickery. Yeah. But I'm now going to make a power move on this. Yeah. So. I mean, and then start plotting where this conversation happened with Rishta the night that Tyrion spent tied to the tree. Yeah, that that um, Poggin describes for us. Yeah, and it I believe it implies here that like the ginger cat and Rishta had a relationship prior to this. Yeah, like this is something they've been putting together back in Calarmine, possibly, which possibly. is which he, I mean, he calls the most sagacious cat. Yeah, like they have an established relationship. They've been talking. Like they have. You know, this whole conversation where the ginger's just like, hey, I want to make sure we're both on the same page when we were having our back and forth earlier mm-hmm. about, you know, Aslan and, and Tash, Tash meaning, meaning the no same more thing. or less than each other. Yeah. And of course, that means neither one exists. Yeah. So. This is the uh, the joining forces of the atheists. Yeah. So who's the ginger cat here? Because, like, it implies they have this relationship. But as we know, like, talking animals aren't really a thing in Calarmine. So is this, like, a Narnian cat that turned... In the Well, it would have had to have been a relationship that developed in the last couple weeks. Because yeah. this is... This has been going on for, like, two weeks. Yeah. At this point. But also, they have... They, don't, they have obviously not, like, been conspiratorial... Yeah. Until that conversation. Yeah. And the cat wants to address things with him. Yeah. So. And this is the first, I don't know, I want to say the first example of atheism because we had like Trumpkin who was doubting and was like, I'm not sure Aslan exists and people like that. Uh, however, this is, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to call it malicious atheism. Do you want to form an alliance yeah. with me? Yeah, uh, and the ginger is very much taking advantage of it, and I think it's very interesting that, like, the, you know, the power behind the throne here and the one who's just like, oh, Aslan doesn't exist is a cat. Like... Yes. A a relative of the lion. Yeah. Yeah. A feline as well. What do you think? What do you think I think that there's something really powerful about that, because Uh we did have lions that are not Aslan in Narnia. Yeah. We had the one in, in the in the castle yeah. that had been turned to stone by the white witch, but we haven't had any others mentioned. We have the one that gets skinned to give puzzle. Oh, well, his, uh... Yeah. But that was non talking from yeah. the wastes on yeah. uh, beyond lantern waste. Yeah. Um, but in Narnia itself, we've only ever had one lion that wasn't Aslan directly mentioned. Yeah. However, we have not had cats mentioned very often. No. We did have a cat in Calarmine mm-hmm. that Shasta very obviously recognized as a cat. And yeah. like, so cats are a thing in Calarmine. Yeah. Which might be part of why Rishta is more open to like communicating with the cat. 
uh-huh. um, and 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 less opposed to the idea of it as an equal, because if there are cats mm-hmm. that are like house pets in Calarmine, he can respect that. Yeah. But it also draws to mind this idea of uh, Egyptian traditions. Yeah. With the the cat symbolism and the cat respect in the pantheon of e- Egypt. Yeah. And it, it directly, like, I immediately went to that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Because we have this kind of idea where we're like, oh, some say Aslan and Tash are the same. Yeah. And we went into this kind of, oh, like, Middle Eastern uh, tradition of, like, the monotheistic religions all having, saying that they all serve the same God. But then also having multiple of them disagree and be like, no, uh, Allah is not God. And, you know, all, uh, all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, is 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 this just atheism at this point, or is there something else that this is symbolizing? And what is the cat? Is the cat because for a moment I thought the cat might be Aslan. We, we talked about for a moment I thought the cat might be Tash, uh-huh. and Tash being upset at Rishta for saying no more or no less than. Yeah, but not Tash either. Doesn't seem that way. Uh huh. So yeah, it's just I don't know. It's. It, it, it seems like it's just an independent entity. Yeah. Like, there's a lot going on but here. But what like, is it symbolizing and why specifically a cat? Yeah. Like, a, a lot of ideas get put forth into this chapter, and I feel like they... Yep. All right. Uh, yeah. So, it's a... Uh, I think this chapter single-handedly has, like, turned this into the most complex plot of any of the books by far. Like, there's a lot of moving pieces here and a lot of stuff going on. Oh, yeah. So... It's, it is, it definitely feels a bit more like a, a grown-up story. Yeah. In this one, because, like, there are people with very gray morality. Like, there's not, there's stuff that's not black and white happening. Like, the, what the dwarves are going through, like, you know, is, who is the bad guy here? Is it Shift? Is it the ginger cat? Yeah. Is it? Is it Rishta? Is it? Yeah. Puzzle? Like, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And, like, if we're continuing our like allegory discussion like who are these players now because like it's it's easy to look at you know the surface level and be like well puzzles the antichrist because he's the one directly imitating jesus but is he is he the beast who's been (laughs) set up by the antichrist is it yeah like i would also then have to go relook at all of my eschatological discussions from the revelation and all of that like yeah it's it's a lot. Like there's a lot in there that's like, ooh, whoa. Hmm. Well, I mean, Revelation is like a very dense book, and if like Lewis is doing direct allegory here, there's all kinds of like characters you can bring into it. Yeah. Like you can have the beast, and which you can... we know he's not doing direct. Yeah. This is his supposition. Yeah. S- suppose. But yeah, you can have the beast. You can have the Antichrist. You can have the horror of Babylon. You could have like all this very the you know the dragon and all these various images. So, anyway, this is how it goes down. Uh, So, obviously, they're co-conspirators. They're talking about, well, let's bring in Nardians into the fold who are like us and also doubt the existence of Aslan and, like, the intelligent ones. Yeah. Like, the the rational. The rational, the educated, the very much this idea of putting science against religion here. Yes. Yeah. And, and they're going to see the truth and, like, they, you know, they, they're going to get rewarded if, you know, Narnia becomes a province of Calarmine. So they're going to be able to help us. We yeah. just have to hand select the the good ones. Yeah. So. Yeah. The intelligent <laughs> ones. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, so. yeah. And then, uh, and then we have, as the dwarf speaking, the day turns somehow different, yeah. darker. It's clouding over. It gets really and cold. there's a bad smell. Is there a dead bird nearby? Did, don't know how we didn't notice, didn't notice before. It. Yep. And then with a great upheaval. Yes, there is a dead bird nearby. In the pot of the stew, the pigeons. <laughs> anyway, sorry, go ahead. Uh, with a great upheaval, Jules scrambled to his feet and pointed with his horn. Look. Oh, look, he cried. Uh, then all six of them saw, and over all their faces, there came an expression of uttermost dismay. And that so, is... So, cliffhanger. The end of the chapter. Another cliffhanger. Yeah. That's actually a good one. Like, Lewis ended a chapter in a good way for once. Um, <laughs> and not just, like, a, with a weird sentence talking about what food they were eating or how happy they were to have a nap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not like that. Um, and we're not going to spoil anything. The next chapter is called What News the Eagle Brought, but... In turning to the next chapter, I see artwork on the very, like, first page of this thing. So. Whoa. Whoa. Is, is this what they see? Whoa. They see Tash. Maybe. Stalking through the woods. Yep, don't spoil anything. I won't. I'm just saying. That's the art that's right there. Uh, it's anyway. the art that from. It, it does seem similar to that other, like, terrifying artwork that was on the covers of this book that were not the unicorn with a bloody horn. Yeah. Like the big weird bird thing. Yeah. Cool. Um, so that's a chapter. I know we, we really picked that one apart, so I'm not sure if there's anything we didn't cover or we need to dive deeper into. Like there's a lot that happens. Um, I don't know. The the Keller means called the dwarfs mannequins and that <laughs> that made me chuckle a little bit. Uh not spelled in the French style though. Yes. M A N I K I N S. As in mankind. Yeah. The the kin of man these mannequins yeah and it made me chuckle that's all i don't know that's all i've got on my notes cool. so i do believe we are ready to move on to the next phase of our discussion yeah heavy book so far yeah, yeah. it is a lot it's of a very a lot heavy. of themes yeah all right so what do we do next Kristen? we turn pages transitional page turning sounds uh-huh next we do our rewrites so as you and i as you know, Chris. Listeners, as you also know, we read through the chapter and select out five sentences, not only for the summary, but also to try to tell a new story with. So uh, this is our creative energy uh, being put, put to work. Cool. Uh, since I read my rewrite first, would you like to read this? my rewrite? Since I read my summary first, would you like to read your rewrite first? Sure. Cool. I have no idea if this is good or not. I wrote it while I was very tired and did not want to be creative. So I'm going to go ahead and do this. It's probably not much. Cool. Somebody's coming after us, I think, said Puzzle suddenly. What can we do against him? You're playing the same... You're playing some game of your own. This is my password, said the king as he drew his sword. I never said I was. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I needed so, more detail. I needed yeah. more. I just couldn't. Kind like, I wrote a few other sentences, and I was, I just couldn't get it all there, you know? I gotcha. Kind of an open-ended thing, though, with, uh, I, I think it's interesting, though, that I feel like in yours, you changed the character of who Tyrion is. Yeah. Uh, which I did the same thing in mine. <laughs> so there's something that we might want to talk about there. Yeah. Uh, however, here is my rewrite. Look, said Tyrion. 
pulling Puzzle forward into the light. The light is dawning. The lie is broken. No more Aslan, no more kings, no more silly stories about other worlds. Mm -hmm. Look, he cried, tomorrow I will lead you to free all Narnia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is this is Tyrion being a revolutionary of you know of the of the non Aslan yeah, variety non Aslan variety being like you've all been deceived yeah so I don't know so we both kind of took a different perspective on Tyrion here yeah we did who interesting because like, I feel like we do get a little more fullness to his character in this one where we see him like we've seen him rash uh huh. And this was his rashness to go rush in and pull those dwarves to his side. But we also see him defeated in dealing with what he never expected to deal with. Mm. Of, like, the concept that yeah. somebody could stop believing in Aslan at all. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. This never occurs to him. Cool. Uh, so those are our rewrites. Uh, would you like to move on to our final segment? Sure. It's the final segment. We we can't make this a, a thing. Um, we can't. Anyway, we've done it for six episodes now. So in the last this last segment of the podcast, what we do is uh, we're going to do a random battle. We're trying to figure out who the ultimate victor of a conflict between. Many of the characters from the previous books would be uh, who would win this uh, battle royale style fight. We've done six of these matchups, uh, you know, created some brackets. We've had some winners that are moving on. I think we have two more fresh matchups. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Before we start doing some uh, reintroducing oh, no, some three more, three more, this one, and then two more after this. Okay. Before we start doing uh, previous winners fights. Yes. Uh, so. I have a list here of 24 various characters from the previous six books. All right. I rolled by two numbers. Okay. Uh, what are your numbers, Kristen? 12 and 14. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, so we have Erebus. Erebus of the horse and his boy. Erebus of the horse and his boy. The Tarkina. Yep. Ervis the Tarkina versus Corrin Thunderfist. Ooh. <laughs> Which I think this one's over before it even starts. Tell, um, me. Tell me more. But then we're going to have to also roll a d10 to figure out uh, which location we're doing this in. I have five, and I believe that that's a new one. All right, it is. Uh, so this is on the top deck of the Don Treader itself. All right. Oh, all right. Let's talk about how Erebus could possibly win here. Because as we know, Corrin Thunderfist is the best fighter that anybody's ever seen uh, from the land of Arkenland. Uh, he he just knocks people down. He There's stories and the songs written about him. Oh, like yeah. People still sing about him hundreds of years after his death. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's the best bare-knuckle brawler uh, of all time. Of all time. So, and also, one of my favorite characters from the entire theories, Corn Thunderfist, fighting around the world. Yep. Um, I think that was my Corrin voice. <laughs> um, 
And then we have Erebus, who is, like, no slouch. Like, she's strong and confident and, like... And can handle herself. Can handle herself with a with a, with a a sword. Uh, but, gosh, going up against Corrin here. If we talk about it being on the Dawn Treader, like, do I, we have any environmental things that would possibly change this up? I don't think so, because I feel like they would both be equally advantaged and disadvantaged. Yeah. Neither one of them have their sea legs. Yeah. We don't really talk about Corrin as a, an experienced sailor. Yeah. Uh, though though he has been on a ship before. Corrin? Was Corrin on the ship, or was it only Cor that was on the ship? No, Corrin was on the ship. He, he came down with oh, the... Oh, he uh, came down with them. Yeah, yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah. Okay. So we do know for sure that he has been on a ship before. Yeah. Uh, Erebus, probably not. Um, yeah, probably not. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this one's just way too easy. I was hoping Corrin would get into a better matchup right off the bat, but, like, jeez, I, I, I just don't see how Erebus wins this. Like, even if we're going to say she's got a, she's got wins help, like, when her constant companion, like, she's got a mount advantage, but I don't know how much that's going to help on the deck of the Dawn Treader. True. Uh, <laughs> Not yeah. a lot of not a lot of room to maneuver there. But also, Wynn is a separate character, so you yeah. can't just yeah. I can't combine <laughs> her with somebody else just because. Yeah, I can't. Um, I mean, if anything, she might have some sort of reach advantage. Does she have like a bow? Does she have a, no, a range? She's, no, she's, she's just got a sword. A, yeah, so like she's got a little bit of a reach advantage, but like Corn gets in there with his fists, it's all over. Yeah, like pretty much nobody except Aslan can stand up to Corn when he oh, gets wow. within punching distance. Oh wow. <laughs> so what you're telling me is that you expect Corrin to take all. I, it, he's going to be, he's the favorite. He's going to be hard to beat. Um, there's there's some other ones in here that I hope we get to play around with, but gosh. Just, I, I'm, you got to give me an argument for Erebus. I mean, yeah, I, I can't give you an argument for Erebus. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm highlighting my victors okay. so I don't lose track of Okay. Who won? Who won in Duffer's vs. King Frank in London? King Frank, right? I uh, never yes. actually wrote down the victory yes. on that one. So it was King Frank. Uh, yeah, I was hoping for a more exciting battle, but Corrin takes that. Yep. He's going to knock her down. Uh, I think he's a gentleman. I don't think he's going to kill her, but yeah, definitely knocks her right out. Yeah, okay. I will, cool. I will declare that one. <laughs> Decided. Exciting. All right. All right, well, we go. that's a, it's a stupid segment. Um, <laughs> on our literature review podcast, we talk about, you know, which character went in a fight. Well, yeah. Um, cool. We pretend like we don't actually care, too. <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. All right. Kristen, would you like to take us out? All right. Let's do it. Thank you so much for joining us today as we discussed Chapter 7 of The Last Battle. If you want to participate in the discussion, you can do that uh, at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of, um, you know, Puffin, Poggin, Poggin Puffin on his pipe. Um, Which he got permission from everybody to smoke. No, not from everybody, just from the king and from the lady. Everybody else can deal with it. Yep. He only got permission from the king and the lady. Anyway. <laughs> Puzzle's poor, weak lungs can <laughs> deal with nearly drowning and the smoke. 
Yeah. Um, anyway. So your fan art of Pog, of Poggin puffing away on his pipe in front of Puzzle. Yep, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're interested in contributing to the podcast financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast. Join us again next week as we discuss chapter eight. And that chapter is called What News the Eagle Brought. What uh, news? What's this dead bird smell? Like, why did it turn cold all of a sudden? Yeah. It's Jadis back. I know. The artwork for the cover of the chapter of mine has a very confusing picture of Puzzle with this the lion skin still on. And I'm, like, shocked that they've left this skin on him overnight, yeah, too. Seems... Like, they didn't remove it before they all went to bed. Yeah, it seems weird. Yeah. Cool. It's anyway. Little, it's a little weird. <laughs> you got some advice, Kristen? Um, clean your sword, obviously. Um, and also, um, make note of what fi- wild Fresnik looks like. Fresnish? Fresni? Fresni? Fresnish. Of what wild Fresni looks like so that you can make a good stew. Always add butter and pepper. Oh, yeah. Always. Yes. Thanks. Bye. things that would what 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 Fersney? Let me try that one more time. <laughs> Wild Fresney. Um, also, we don't really talk. Hang on. I want fire. It's going to be loud. You can light it. I just think it's going to show up in the background audio. Okay. Not police. Why are you being ADHD with the fire right now? Gosh, so I guess... Uh... I can cut out me saying the butter and pepper thing. I'm just saying that. <laughs> And this is pretty much... Trinian. Tyrion? Tyrion. Tyrion. I said it right, right? Yes, okay. Tyrion. You, you're never going to get his name right throughout this entire book, are you? Not on a first try. <laughs>